make yourself a bay full of true hooray. Make a cup of coffee and ask them all to stay. All these ugly goons, all these deadly tunes. Make a cup of coffee and ask Hello. them all to stay. Hello, welcome back to The Exchange, presented by Olin Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is episode two, the first of two episodes on coffee blending. In part one, Mark and Todd talk about the reasons for creating blends, both the good and the bad, and the role blends play as part of your wholesale offerings. And here they are, Mark and Todd. Welcome to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm Mark Inman, and with me, of course, is my co-host, Todd Mackey. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing very well today, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, as we like to start off every episode of The Exchange, uh, what's in your cup today, Todd? Mark, I am drinking a, uh, an organic lot coming in from Tolima, just hit on the East Coast, uh, Agar mm. Prosem. It's a cooperative coffee uh, from smallholders in Tolima, juicy, big-bodied, notes of dark chocolate, just very, very uh, full and round. What are you drinking? I've decided to go, uh, I, I thought about the Colombian this morning. It's funny that you said that. I was looking at that same thing, but went with the Guatemala Weiwei Tenango, the Finca Terrazas. It's 100% San Ramon. Um, it, to me, is like that classic uh, Cadbury fruit nut bar flavor, just like berry and, and dark chocolate and a little bit of nuttiness and very clean, just a nice, good overall morning coffee. Awesome. Sounds delicious. Yeah, no, I, I was uh, just going to jump right to it. Sure. I mean, it's exciting to, to be back for our second episode. It's certainly excited to dig into our content today. I mean, we're talking about blends. Blend and blending um, theory. And uh, I just thought maybe the, the place to start was really, you know, why blend? And maybe we can look backwards uh, as sort of our foundation and, and we can build from there. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, for someone like yourself, longtime roaster, mm. Uh, working obviously with a lot of different diverse companies, um, you know, when you look all the way backwards and, and sort of identify themes through to today, I mean, what is the biggest why that you identify when it comes to blending? Um, why is it there? Why do people do it? Why does it have staying power and why should it? Yeah, I, for me, you know, the idea behind blending is to create a coffee that's better than its individual components. And as you know from, you know, any kind of single varietal coffee that you would drink in any given time, it has a certain attribute or strong point, but then tends to lack something. It could be body, it could be acidity, it could be sweetness. The idea of blending is to introduce these elements that would actually make this final product better uh, in the long run. Um, but I came about this blending through my uh, background in wine and learning how to blend wines, uh, things like a Rhone style blend or, you know, a Cabernet that uses Cab Franc and Merlot and things to smooth out and rough around the edges. So I have always tended to blend using a type of wine type mindset uh, just because it's something I was trained to do, something more formal. And um you know, for me, a fun exercise that I like to do here, and I've done it at, at, at the office here, is to invite winemakers to come to the office and show them, like, here are the typical Rhone-style grapes, uh, the coffee version of that, 
thinking about it in those ways, what would you do? How would you blend? And watching their minds work and seeing how they create. And I think that they're, you know, the idea of getting two worlds together to create blends uh, using different types of, of approaches uh, always makes, in the long run, for a better way of blending. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. I, I think, you know, zooming out for me, you see one of three core objectives that, that you know, a roaster might have to blend. You know, it's either to build accessibility, um, you know, to build, uh, you know, some sort of alchemy or, you know, uh, to to sort of achieve acceptability, um, you know, uh, a little less inspiring, but certainly a part of the history of blending when you look back is, you know, maybe matching what is more, uh, you know, price level or a cost to value and, and just making something that's acceptable to, to that customer. But, but I, I love, you know, thinking about blending as, you know, as, you know, that, overly romantic but you know appropriate uh, sort of alchemist approach where you are taking two parts you're making what is ultimately a more drinkable coffee and maybe a more widely uh, pleasing coffee and you know when you look at the you know the aim to increase your market and to to build your business and to you know to really become a, a repeat um, you know pursuit by many different types of guests and customers um, you know, that's really what we're mm -hmm. aspiring towards. Um, so I guess, you know, in, in terms of using that maybe as like, uh, where we start, you know, what, what do you feel like are the, I guess, biggest considerations in creating a blend? Like, you know, obviously we're dealing with single varieties in some cases, right. uh, you know, multiple varieties in the cases of many lots. I mean, a lot of green coffees are, are blends of varieties sure. to begin with, yeah. um, intentionally or, or more practically speaking. But like, what do you think, I mean, as basic as how many coffees should be in a blend or what's too many or, you know, <laughs> some of the, the, the golden rules maybe that you feel like you've discovered or that you see at work in the, in the, in the trade, um, when it comes to blending or creating a successful blend. Well, I, uh, I tend to believe, well, I guess let me back up a little bit. The, the idea that you brought up earlier about blending is, uh, I, I guess we need to hit on it a little bit harder that when you think about the, the Colombian that you drank this morning, uh, that's not a hundred percent. That is a blend. It's a blend of probably, you know, a handful of varieties on the farm. Um, it, it is from one origin. It is from one region, but it is multiple, uh, you know, plant varieties or coffee varieties. And so it is already a blend. The idea of blending different countries, which does not happen in wine, you don't see a French wine blended with a California wine to create something different. What we're looking for are um, inherent attributes in those regions. I tend to approach blending as a way to create something, at least for a product line, something iconic or something that, that's, that identifies who you are and what you're trying to say as a coffee company. Um, it, I had early on, uh, spoke, um, you know, for years at, at conferences about the one clear advantage that small roasters have over the big guys. And you could, you know, insert large multinational coffee company in there is that you can actually beat them at their game 
by buying small single varietal lots because they can't roast and buy in those small quantities. So it allows you to be unique and to stand out in ways that the, your big competitors cannot. And the idea of blending at the time, what I was saying was that the big guys can blend, you know, circles around you. And so you're going to end up losing at that game and to intend to avoid that. And obviously, as I learned more and as time passed, I realized that that was a very overly simplistic view of, you know, how you should look at, at developing a product line. Because I think what comes with that is that you also lose your identity. If you're just jumping from one single origin to another single origin and, and you're not really, you have nothing that ties things to you, then you tend to get lost in that shuffle as a, as a brand or as a coffee company because everybody is, is doing single origins nowadays. So the idea of blending, in my opinion, is to create something iconic, to create something lasting uh, that that your customers end up knowing you for. And I think that uh, that is a very uh, important uh, thing for a company to do. And I think you have to take the idea of creating that blend extremely serious. It can't be, you know, used for other purposes. It can't be about hiding, you know, cheaper coffees or hiding overages or, or, or covering up mistakes. This has to, you know, this ultimately is the ultimate representation of who you are as a coffee brand. Yeah, yeah, no, to have a, a you know, cross-seasonal, sort of always present and available, um, you know, hallmark product um, that's, you know, smoothly marketed around core values or your culture or what have you, well, ideally everything, in, you know, all in between um, is, is clearly wise, right, when so many consumers have this dramatic emotional response to your coffee. Sure. Um, you know, what, what type of sensory experience they're having, what type of, um, you know, consuming experience they're having, but, but they don't necessarily have as much uh, a command of, of why that might be, or, or even really, you know, like a, a confident uh, way to dialogue about the sensory experience they're having, uh, uh, whether they would like to or not, you know? So, you know, I look at these, uh, I mean, I think immediately of like a hairbender or, right. you know, Black Cat, these like very longstanding, um, you know, iconic blends uh, that have been smoothly marketed, you know, have been, uh, you know, consistent uh, in terms of what they deliver. And, you know, they have uh, fantastic followings of people that buy them faithfully season sure. uh, after season after season. Um, to that point, I mean, how... How much of that do you feel, you know, zooming out and, uh, you know, take this any direction you want, but how much of that is marketing and how much of that is composition? I mean, how much, um, obviously it's a combination, but there's, there's people on both sides that might say, Hey, you know, this is smooth marketing. I could throw anything I want in here. Right. right. Um, but then, you know, we know that's not true. I no. mean, you know, people take their coffee so serious. I mean, I used to joke um, working bar, I mean, you can, you know, pour someone the wrong drink uh, at a bar and, and you know, comp them and it's no big deal. If you, you know, if you mess up their coffee, it's like the end of the world, you know. Um, so I guess I'm curious your thoughts, you know, how much of, of that type of, um, you know, cornerstone blended product approach is the marketing and the presentation and how much really boils down to the constituents of Well, I think of that... 
I think that marketing is not going to cover up for, for bad blending or inconsistent blending, especially if you're using that blend as kind of like the dumping ground for coffees that you've bought too much of or you found it a deal or whatever. Uh, but I do think I have a couple thoughts on this. There, the, the main thing is that there are, I look at two types of coffee consumers. One is somebody who is like, I want to be dazzled. Show me something great. You know, I'm up for an adventure and that's the person you can throw a honey coffee at and a natural and then tomorrow really acidy coffee. And they're always up for some type of adventure. And that is a perfect consumer for single origins and, and or seasonal blends uh, or short run blends. Um, the other type of consumer, which I believe is the bulk of people who eat, eat and drink anything, want something consistent and want something that they can count on and aren't necessarily looking to be challenged every day there you know if you can imagine you know getting up at 5 a.m and being tired and it's your quiet time your kids aren't up yet and you're you know you may have the radio on and you have that cup of coffee and it's there to just be a grounding comforting force and at that point you're not like holding a brandy snifter and contemplating your existence. It isn't that type of experience. This is comfort food at its finest. And, and in that sense, a blend, a great blend that you can get year round, something that is uh, consistent and you can count on, it creates a lot of brand and product loyalty for you. And you could apply that to the beer world or to the wine world or, or to the coffee world. Things that are constant, uh, have a very, very strong place in the marketplace. And I don't think you can underestimate that. I mean, as a, a roaster, when I was messing around with a lot of single origins and uh, not paying as much attention to my blends, I heard that feedback right away from my customers of, look, I like that particular blend and it seems to be moving around what's going on. And it's because I was buying so much single origin what I would have that was similar to what was the blend component I would be sticking in there if I bought too much of it. Now, one step further, what I think is I became much more fascinated by uh, as I went throughout my roasting career were companies like uh, a, a, the, probably the best example, it's a West Coast example, uh, is Grafeo Coffee Roasters in San Francisco. Now, this is a an interesting company and probably one of the most fascinating uh, coffee companies that I've come across that they had a store in North Beach, San Francisco. They had one in off in Beverly Hills, right off Rodeo Drive, and one in San Rafael. And they do have a a, a licensing deal in, in Singapore, I believe, but that's not the same same company. And you go into a Grafeo, and what you see is a marble countertop, a grinder, and three trays. And there's nothing being brewed, there's nothing to sample, there's nothing to drink. And uh, when you go in there, the choice is dark, light, and decaf. That's it. And it's the same blend done three different ways. And at its core, you think, this is too minimalist, it's too much. But the brand has been an icon in San Francisco going back to the 1950s that up until recently, if you had a restaurant in San Francisco, especially in North Beach, more times than not, you were serving Grafeo coffee. And I fell in love with the idea of the simplicity of that model and the elegance of having something honed so right 
that they only needed to do it that way. And it's similar to like In-N-Out Burger also in California where it's hamburger, cheeseburger, french fry. That's the menu. There is not, I mean, there is the secret menu, but there isn't chicken sandwich and the fish sandwich and curly fries and and now we're doing seasoned fries. They they did they don't go off in, into uh, you know the absurd. They're keeping it elegant and very clean. And I think there's something really great about that that not enough coffee companies have um, experimented with. I think they will have a blend or two blends, but then they'll have a whole bunch of other coffees in their lineup. And I do think that they're that you know. Outside of of big companies like Dunkin' Donuts and uh, well, I guess Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's would be the two largest that do do a blend and they don't do a lot of different coffees. Grafeo is a specialty version of that type of elegance and simplicity. Sure. No, I I, I love that you bring that up because it's interesting, you know, thinking back to you know my entry into specialty coffee and it seems, uh, you know, I'm sure given you know where I was, you know, located, the different like influential players at the time, you know, who really shined a light on, on, um, what was, what was going on really for anyone, uh, would color kind of, you know, their perception of, of what was cool and what was happening and the values of the market as, as a whole or at large. But, you know, I feel like as I was coming in the door, um, it was in a time of, just countless blends. It almost seemed like a, a roaster uh, was in the position to hang, you know, his or her hat on the number of coffees offered, right. um, whether single origin, flavored in many cases, or blended. And um, you know, it, it really wasn't about well, here's the substance and and the purpose, and that certainly not the the elegance of. Uh, simplicity as to why they're there was much more well we have a coffee for everyone right um and and so that's obviously you know counter to to where we're headed now and and where it seems like most uh roasters offer lists are are sort of dialed into but i guess i'd be curious you know where do you think the appropriate balance lies i mean you know when you talk to um you know, folks in different segments, you know, retailers who are buying roasted coffee and seeing lots of different offer lists, um, people, uh, you know, who, who might look from, from us, you know, our supplier side and mm-hmm. say, okay, how are these coffees going out? You know, what's the best way to, uh, you know, what should I, uh, produce and where are opportunities? I mean, what do you think is is the right sure. type of balance um, in terms of number and and sort of well? I, I think there's those. there's two ways of looking at this. One is is what's the purpose of your business? I I, I want to say, uh, well, I'll tell you two versions of this story. But if you're in grocery wholesale, the original idea behind having a bunch of blends was to get a grocery store to give you as much shelf space as possible to squeeze out your competition. So you would create, in many cases, five blends that really are the same components, but you would call them something different. Um, So there was a strategy behind doing the absurd amount of uh, coffee offerings in your product lineup. And as 
time marched on and as grocery stores started falling in love with multiple, you know, coffee companies and, and loving, you know, all of the, the kind of small movement of coffee roasters out there, those opportunities to gobble up the lion's share of a grocery shelf space disappeared. And what they were looking for was the best of the best that you can offer and then the best of the best that I can offer. And they would stick them all on one shelf. That being said, I, I had a, a, a competitor slash friend uh, that was a, a mentor to me throughout the industry and uh, or my time throughout the industry. And we both had wholesale coffee roasting companies. And at one point, he was complaining about, I have 128 SKUs I have to manage and what a headache it is to manage that. And I thought, God, 128 products, like what a nightmare that would be. And meanwhile, I had 30 uh, products. And even that was a headache for me to to manage. And when I really dug down into my numbers, I, when I started my company, I had four coffees. I got to around six and then nine and then leveled off there and then started adding more and more products. And when I looked at the numbers, I could have stuck with between six and nine and done incredibly well. In fact, I, there are two coffees that I had in my lineup that if I only had those two, I could have made as good of a living as I was making, you know, doing the 30. But I do think for a good rounded out product line, six to nine offerings is plenty. I mean, if you would look at a beer company or a wine company, they're not offering much more than that either. And yes, the, the world is our oyster and there's a million, you know, origins available to us, but that doesn't mean all are appropriate for your line or all work or all make sense. So, um, yeah, I, I settle on six to nine. I, I don't know. How about you? So six to nine total products, you mean? Yes. Total yes. products. Including um, but, espresso but, and a decaf. Yeah. And, and how many of those would you flag as blends? I mean, how many of, let's, let's just say you're at the top end, you have nine products. I mean, how many of those are yeah. like LTO, you know, uh, limited time offer coffees that are swapped out seasonally? And how many of those are mainstay blended products? The, the mainstay blended products would be my decaf, my espresso, and then a, uh, a, a lighter uh, blend and a more of a medium to full city blend. And then everything else would be a seasonal offering of some type. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think I fall far from you. I mean, you know, to me, it's, it's, uh, you know, I come from the, the, the sort of influx of specialty coffee heads that, that for a time were like, you know, so intensely anti-blend that, that I, you know, right. you, you're just like completely impractical, um, you know, totally self-indulgent and completely casting off really that type of experience that you were describing earlier that, you know, something reliable, something, uh, you know, fundamental as part of each day, um, which, you know, now as a, as, you know, a consumer, even I find myself leaning towards supremely drinkable coffees, um, right. you know, not because I don't want tasting coffees and adventurous coffees, but because, you know, I love that draw, like the, the, the cup coming back to your mouth over and over again, just on, uh, you know, just on uh, muscle memory and the want for something, you know, really sweet and balanced and approachable. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I still land in this very, you know, simple 
stripped down type of place where, you know, to me, I think nine or 10 uh, offers would be at the very top end uh, of what I would want to see or what I think, you know, you can really, uh, as a small to mid-sized specialty roaster, um, just thinking average sizes, you know, that's really, you know, the top end of, of where you might want to be in terms of managing inventory. Um, and also right. like keep, keeping a concise message where you can really put the energy into each, uh, you know, coffee and story and, and really properly market and give the right type of attention to each one. You know, in that I would probably, uh, you know, look to have at the most two blends, um, you know, maybe three um, kind of where, where you're at. But, uh, you know, I'd be more and more apt to 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 stick with one or two just to, uh, you know, to have a coffee that is, you know, completely, uh, again, approachable and also flexible when it comes to brewing. Um, just yeah. knowing, you know, as, you know, someone with a, a lot of retail experience and, you know, knowing just the challenge and breakdown often of, you know, communicating brewing standards and approach and recipe when you're talking about bratty, edgy, interesting dynamic but sort of needy coffees it's a whole lot harder to uh to hand those off and to and to entrust them to you know our retail partners and expect um you know the the very very best they just need more attention and uh so you want to have something that that can be brewed as espresso brewed as a filter coffee you know house coffee breakfast blend whatever sort of nomenclature is attached or whatever a brewing approach is attached it's it's really you know sort of a uh i don't know your your sort of uh clutch player if you will that you call in for almost anything um you know and with that well i i'm not a, a big beer drinker but i i look at the idea of a good blend like uh, I, i'm not and if i get this term wrong Todd, please feel free to skewer me here. Um, of a session beer, it's it's basically what you're looking for, something that you can get into, and enjoy, and and that is you know you can do a lot of it. You could drink a pot of it, and you're going to enjoy it. Um, versus something finicky and fussy and very particular. Yeah, that's exactly like from, it. I from, mean, you, from you're... a session beer to a sour beer, I guess. Exactly. I, I was I was going to say exactly the same thing. You know, sours, wild fermented beers, uh, right. you know, these really intensely sort of barnyardy uh, natural wines versus some of the, the lasting standard blends. Um, you know, it, it's there's all these different parallels um, and, and it's not to take the merits of, of the wild sort of, again, edgy, uh, you know, really stimulating, um, side of this. Uh, it's not to take the merits away. It's more to just say, no. you know, there, there's, there's more often, you know, the want for that session beer or, you know, per unit volume, you're certainly going to be moving, selling, supporting, engaging, uh, your customers for more of that, um, than you might these really challenging, um, you know, beers. I, I love the analogy uh, when you said challenging as a as an element uh, or description, you know, earlier about grapes and about coffees. You know, I immediately thought about, you know, music where, you know, you go see uh, Bruce Springsteen and it's just like, yes, like, you know, the guy will play for four hours and it's just, he's just crushing 
the backbeat. And then, you know, you see, you know, maybe a more contemporary artist, a Bon Iver, or someone like, you know, who's in a more challenging space. And, you know, you're really stretched even as uh, someone who's on the outside, you know. And I think right, that that's a, right. another parallel for, you know, obviously there's a, a lot of a lot of folks coming from music into specialty coffee uh, and thankfully so. But but yeah, I, I, I always go back to, you know, one to two coffees that that play this, um, you know, that play this role specifically blended, um, you know, whereas I think, too, you know, I see more and more and, and I certainly am a, a proponent of this. Uh, and make the same suggestion where, you know, there are these larger blended lots that that in and of themselves, even though they're, they could be, quote, single origin coffees, they could be single sure. region coffees, they might even be a state coffee, single farm coffees and, and single variety, but they just exude a, a sort of blended, balanced quality. Um, you know, there is almost a gray area in between where I still think, you know, whereas those might have been blends and sold under you know, sort of a product titling rather than sold as as an origin and or farm or producer, um, you know, you're seeing a lot more kind of fit into that in between as well. Hi, everyone. This is Todd Mackey. Obviously, Mark and I have much more to discuss, so we're going to land the plane, though briefly. Tune in in another two weeks for episode two on Blend. You've been listening to The Exchange. Presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. Hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. Produced by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme was A Cup of Coffee for Your Freers by VVC Shore. Our closing theme, City Riding Morning Coffee by Bottle Smoker. Both songs are available and used under Creative Commons. If you have any questions you'd like Mark and Todd to consider answering during a podcast, send an email to theexchangeosc at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for our third episode, Coffee Blending, Part 2.